I'm Rob Pope, and this is the last episode of Series 2, How to Be Superhuman, from Red Bull. This time, we're doing something different. We're going deep into the mind. As an athlete, you spend a lot of time fine-tuning your body. But any top dog will tell you that understanding and training your mind is just as important. When you're at the start of that race, or the climb, or a swim you've been training for your whole life, you've done all the physical training you can now. From here on in, it's your mind that's in charge. And how in control you are of your own mind is what distinguishes the very good from the best. Or to put it in terms we like better, the human from the superhuman. Now, all the amazing people we've interviewed on How To Be Superhuman, like Camille Heron, Tim Don, Mark Beaumont, they're all masters of the mind, as well as the body. Conquering your inner demons. Those voices that tell you you're not as good as the next person, that you're not going to make it. Now, that can, for most people, take years of training. Fortunately, there are professionals who help with this. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's me, Veronica. I'm from Austria. I grew up in... In this episode, I'm talking to one of those people, Veronica Meyerhofer a mental performance specialist at the Red Bull Athlete Performance Centre in Austria. She works with top-level athletes to help them become the best sports person they can be. In practice, that means she has to find those tiny weaknesses that in the white-hot world of elite competition are often the differences between good and great. And now Veronica is joining me to help us work out what actually it is the sets the athletes we've interviewed apart from mere mortals. How do their minds work in crucial moments? She's also going to give us a few tips to help you guys on your journey towards superhumanness. Now, it doesn't have to be a 4,000 mile trek or cycling around the world. It could be getting to the finish of the park run you agreed to do on Saturday. Preparing for a big presentation you're nervous about or a difficult discussion with a family member. Sometimes these things require superhuman strength too. Now, Veronica knows how difficult it is to perform in the moment. Because before training as a sports psychologist, she used to be a professional and Olympic Nordic skier. I couldn't see myself on the podium. I couldn't, uh, I always saw the opponents as, oh, they look so strong today. Um, oh, they have such a better service team. They have faster skis. Um, I just saw everything better um, for them. And I felt like I have a disadvantage. And then somebody told me like, okay, if you cannot imagine yourself on the podium, you will not get there. And it was hard for me to imagine myself. I couldn't do it right away. But step by step, I tried to imagine myself like being faster than them, looking stronger, feeling stronger than them. And then gradually, day by day, at some point, I was really on top of the podium. But before I was doubting myself all the time, which really doesn't help to perform well. (laughs) I guess that maybe like when you're a pro, you're almost to the wrong point of the stimulation curve. You're almost too tense, you know, because you had to succeed. And suddenly once the pressure's off, you're 
talent's able to shine through, you know, again. And I guess that just shows how important the mind is in driving these things. And we've, wow, on, on this series and series one, we've met some incredible, incredible athletes, some of which the things that they've done, I just can't fathom how they managed to pull it off. And we've all got particular talents. Like some of these guys are endurance machines, some are speed demons, and some of them, like Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool's manager says, are mentality giants. So I'd like to talk to you about a few of our guests and see what your deep grounding in psychology can tell us about how they managed to succeed against all the odds. First of all, we got Diana Nyad, and she's the lady who became the first person to swim from Cuba to Florida at the age of 62. Now, she began to succeed in this dream kind of in 1978, and it took her over 20 years to finally get there. Now, not only did she fulfill a huge personal and emotional goal, it was really, really physically difficult because nobody had done it before. But there was also this added problem of sharks and jellyfish, box jellyfish, by the way, because the sting of a box jellyfish is reputedly one of the most painful things a person could ever experience. Can you tell us how you think somebody is able to go through such a tough time like this? And we got a clip from Diana who explains the situation. And I'd love you to just dip into a little bit of psychology and enlighten us. So let's go. Tentacles wrapped around my neck, down the forearm, around the biceps. I was in anaphylactic shock. I felt I'd been dipped in hot burning oil. I was screaming out to Bonnie and the shark divers on the boat. Help me, help, I'm on fire, help me. I couldn't breathe. The box jellyfish emits the most potent venom on planet Earth. When you're stung with that thing, 98% of people who have ever been touched by a tentacle of the box have died instantaneously. So Diana gets stung. What does she do? I swam another 17 hours after that sting. I don't know why. I don't know why I survived. The doctors can't explain it, and maybe it was just pure will. You know, it comes down to a, a situational experience. I went to get a tattoo. Bonnie and I, after we didn't make it the fourth time, we went to get tattoos that read in Japanese, Ishin Denshin, which means one heart, one mind. We're in this together. We, we barely need to talk. We know what we need to do. I cried. There were teenagers getting tattoos, laughing, and uh, I was crying, biting a towel. The pain was, was, was rugged for me, and they kept saying, you? Aren't you the one who just survived the box jellyfish things? Wow, can't believe it, That's actually. That's amazing, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like situational pain. I'd never heard of that before, but I guess it, it's a thing. But the, the, the big question is, is whatever the pain is, how do these real elite athletes, these superhumans, how do they push through whatever pain they're suffering at the moment to achieve their goals? Yeah, so first of all, I want to talk quickly about pain. So on the one hand, there is a sensory stimulus, right? And then there's also the emotional one. And usually pain tries to keep you safe, like keeps you away from danger and getting hurt. And usually that pain and the emotional part of it it's not proportional. So some people experience a lot of pain and um, with the same stimulus and some don't. But at the end of the um, talk, she also said 
She could push through the swim, right? But with the tattoo, she really had problems. She was really prepared for her swim. Like her mindset was really out there. Okay, I'm gonna, if it's gonna get hard, I'll just keep pushing. And that self-talk just kept her doing because then the emotion could like decrease a little bit. They were more objective and she could focus on the actions, what she has to do to eventually um, get to the island. So she just had this vision mm. and that's also another um, strategy. You can use cognitive strategy. Um, it's imagery. Like she really imagined herself doing that and just swimming there. And that also um, not helps her to improve her motor um, um, skills, but also her emotions and her cognition and her behavior. Preparing mentally for that, like um, with all senses, um, you, she went through that ocean probably like hundreds of times already in her mind. I guess if you can't imagine succeeding, there literally is nowhere to go when your body raises the inevitable protests upstairs. Nowhere that is, apart from home, with your tail between your legs. And also I think with endurance and pain, it's actually better um, to really dive into that pain and get one with it. Because with like sprinters, for example, they probably try to distract themselves from the pain. But with endurance, you cannot distract yourself like for hours and hours and hours, right? So uh, your mind wanders. And sometimes you can be really mindful and really explore the pain. That's what I really like to do. Like, is it a fire or is it dull? Or is it like, how is the pain and where exactly is it? And at some point, suddenly it starts to decrease. And I really like the phenomenon. And I really want to do research about it because it's just awesome that actually if you focus on the pain, it could go away. Now, our second athlete, Sarah Thomas, another swimmer. Sarah Thomas is a multiple world record swimmer. She's had like the longest open water swim in the world. Now, unfortunately, she suffered a huge sort of medical trauma in the fact that she was diagnosed with cancer and had to go through an intensive treatment phase. Now, she'd readied herself to swim across the English Channel four times continually, never done before. And this is a distance probably approaching 100 miles in a straight line. For the first time ever, she seemed to be really doubting herself. And we dive into this clip here and we just see how vulnerable she could be. I remember telling my crew, like, I'm not tough enough. I don't have what it takes. And they're just encouraging. I don't know how they could be encouraging in that moment, watching me suffer that way and throwing everything up. But, you know, telling me you're still swimming fast. You know, there's other swimmers out here and you're passing other swimmers. You know, you're still looking strong. Your stroke rate's not falling. You know, they're giving me all the right encouragement. And I'm just whining, like, I'm miserable. I'm not having fun. You know, and you're thinking about, like, all I have to do is touch this boat and I can climb out on the ladder and they will wrap me up in the sleeping bag and I can go to sleep right now. Uh, and it takes something a little extra to like not give in to that temptation of knowing that like you can stop at any point. You know, there's nothing keeping you in that water other than yourself. So that was Sarah Thomas, who is just in my eyes an absolute phenomenon, like both ladies, like swimming is not my strong point and the idea of going that far is unbelievable. And what I'd like you to talk about is she mentioned that something extra, that thing that stops her taking the easy way out. What is it about the very best where they can just push on? So I think in her specific case, she just 
became a fighter when surviving the cancer. And I think that was the only option she had at that time. Sometimes with some people, not everybody, but some who are going through something really hard, they become fighters and they just have that mindset. And they also use that then in sport. And they can just fight um, more than probably somebody else. But I think that's maybe one point for her that um, kept her going, yeah. What do you think like, would be the take-home message to not just elite athletes, but also those amongst us who are trying to become superhuman to not take the easy option? Because we've always in our daily life usually got a get-out clause, you know, so we can always find an excuse how do we stop taking that excuse, whether big or small? Yes, yeah, so I think um, that temptation comes from our ancestors because our body just wants to stop and take the easy way to burn less energy, right? So that's actually a, <laughs> a hard one to overtake. But I think if you have intrinsic goal and you think about like um, see yourself in the goal and like how that's going to feel, I think then you can justify a lot, a lot, a lot of pain. And you're doing it for yourself, right? And you don't have to prove anything anybody, anything. So if you do it for yourself, that's what I experienced. Once I did a really hard run and I just told myself, I do it for myself. And there was just so much more energy than focusing on impressing somebody else, like showing what you can, just doing it for yourself. I think that's the source of a lot of energy. seems a hardwired to protect ourselves and I guess it makes sense that the strongest motivations come from within. It's primeval. I've found personally that trying to prove stuff to other people is far more stressful than doing things just to make yourself happy. Stress is just a negative vibe that you don't need. So why increase it, right? One thing that makes me more frightened than swimming in the ocean is being at a great height with an imminent danger of death. Now, Emily Harrington, our next guest, was the first lady to climb the Golden Gate route of El Capitan, which is basically one of the most iconic pieces of climbing that you can do. Now, on the climb herself, she had a huge fall. And I've seen the photo. It literally looked like she'd been shot in the head. I don't know how anybody comes back from that. So let's hear her story. I think that a lot of people think that athletes like myself don't feel fear, that we have some sort of like glitch in our brains that doesn't allow us to, to feel this emotion. I think that's a little bit unrealistic. I'm afraid all the time. I just have a really good relationship with like sort of allowing it to happen, not really like shaming myself for it, not feeling bad about it. I used to beat myself up so much when I was younger, when I got afraid and just like go to battle with all of my like demons and, and just kind of like feel bad and feel like I wasn't good and, and all these things. And now I've sort of recognized that my fear can actually be a really interesting way of being strong mm. if I sort of allow it to exist. What I like to do is, is like I tell people that I actually like feel the fear. Like if I'm feeling afraid of something, I, I let it exist there. Like I, I let it be very prevalent in my, in my consciousness. And I sort of ask myself like, why is the fear there? Like, am I in danger or is it more that I'm afraid of exposure because I haven't, you know, been in this situation in a long time? And if that's the case, then like, how can I sort of like push the envelope 
little by little, like not like launch into the zone of discomfort really dramatically and like feel traumatized and never want to go back. How can I sort of like take baby steps to push that level slowly and so that the comfort just keeps growing little by little by little? First of all, a very, very big question for you. You're going to hate me for this, Veronica. What is fear? What is fear? Fear is a response from the amygdala. It's a part of in our brain. And it actually wants to keep us alive, right? So it wants to tell us, hey, there's a danger out there. And be careful. You better be careful of any step you take. <laughs> so that's fear. And it can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. There's lots of different types of fear. You know, not only was like sort of, Emily, an elite sports person trying something that had never been done before. She had like the imminent fear for her life as well. Are they the same? The fear of basically failure as an elite sports person versus the the same fear basically just to survive? Yeah, so I think the body cannot um, see the difference. So if it's stressed, the body's stressed. And it's just in our mind, like either we're stressed because we think we're going to die or we think um, we can't fulfill our goal and the body doesn't know like the difference. Maybe in the intensity, it's probably higher when you're about to die. But still, if you don't reach a really big goal, you were fighting for years, like some of your athletes, it could also feel like the same, like you're dying, like the sense of your life is decreasing because you cannot reach that goal. So kind of the same for the body, but not for our mind. How do you think Emily was able to, like, sort of, you know, she says she tried to take this fear in baby steps, but I can't imagine taking baby steps when I'm dangling, you know, half a kilometre in the air. How can you engage your sort of your sense of self-preservation to get rid of that fear or harness it? Yeah, so um, the big thing of mindfulness comes into action. So I experienced actually also... Um, a similar situation. I was stuck in a ridge, like I couldn't move forward and back anymore. I was really anxious. And um, so the first thing I did was get a rock to sit on. And then I um, did some breathing exercises to calm myself down and yeah, to decrease the emotion because I was really overwhelmed and um, identified with the fear of falling and dying. And this kind of helped me to slow down. Then I took a, um, a drink and a little bit of my bread to get back my energy. And then I was looking to the right. Okay, what's going to happen if I fall to the right? Okay, I'm going to die like really fast and I probably won't feel that much pain. And then I looked to the left of the ridge and I thought, okay, maybe I'm going to survive. It might be painful. Maybe I will be unconscious and hopefully somebody will get me out of there at some point. And that like just knowing what's going to happen kind of already decreased my anxiety in a weird way. And then I focused on the here and now. Okay, I don't want to fall to the right or to the left. So what am I going to do now to get back safe? So I focused on the here and now. Like, what can I do step by step? Um, I also imagined um, like having roots from my feet down the mountain. Like, it's going to hold me. And I also imagined magnets on my hands. Like, okay, I, I'll just get stuck on that mountain and the gravity will be on my side. And then I used self-talk like some of your other athletes, step by step. Okay, let's take one step down and find a really good grasp. Um, and then I motivated myself. Hey, good job. Keep on doing. You will get there. And then I also at some point imagined myself back down at the car. Everything is good. And also with the breathing, it also helped me um, to decrease my emotion and maybe look at the emotion more as an objective thing and not judge the emotion as something bad. 
And that helped me to stay more in the present and focus on the actions I have to do to actually get down on the mountain. So you can tell yourself you're great and things will be okay. Now, I've always been a little bit reluctant to give myself credit when things are going well. Maybe that needs to change in the future. You're great. We're great. And everything is going to be great. Believe. I love what you say there about sort of, uh, you know, the fact that you analysed what could happen. You had right, you had left and you had succeeding. And I found that in some situations where mostly what we fear is the unknown and there's only unknown if there's a choice. So if you can remove that choice and just say, well, this is what I'm doing, then suddenly the other options don't exist and you can just proceed. And then so suddenly they're irrelevant to you. Like in sort of elite sport, especially when you're in the sense of competition, our next guest had a very big choice to make. She was riding across uh, America as part of the Trans Am race. This is Leo Wilcox, one of the greatest endurance cyclists going. And then suddenly, after a couple of weeks of cycling, she catches up with the number one, Stefan. And her mentality, as you see in this clip, could potentially be set to change. And then I just took off. I started sprinting. I was like, oh my God, this is the guy. I finally caught him. Like, I was so excited. We had, I think, 130 miles to go to the finish, but I started sprinting like it was the end. And then he's like, picks up the pace and he's like catching me. And then I would just ride faster and faster and faster, like just trying to drop him. And I was like breathing so hard and riding so hard. And I, I mean, that was also exciting too, is because I'd been like, some of the days you just feel like you're going to die. And then to feel like I had all this energy all of a sudden was so fun. So, Veronica, like when Leo finally caught Stefan, this guy that she'd been chasing for, you know, two solid weeks, didn't even know where he was on the course. Suddenly she saw him and she went from being the hunter to at least the equal. Now, I wanted you to explore the different mindsets of great sports people when they are the hunter versus when they're being chased down. So the hunter sees the chance of winning, just focus on the person in front of them and then they see, okay, I could actually pass them versus the person who is getting hunted. He had to look back to her and he had this in mind like, oh, I could fail today. And this is the starting point of a whole circle, like either upwards or downwards. Focusing on the chance to win will drive your circle up. You will suddenly feel energy. The pain you perceive is not that bad because you always have like the positive thing in your mind. And if you have negative emotions in your mind, like the person who's getting hunted, it's so much more demanding to... Um, be in the present and focus on the actions. Like the first thing you think, okay, I could lose today. I could get second. That's something with your body. Like he feels nervousness, he feels anxiety. And that's such a big difference than being excited because excited is arousal and that gives you energy. But being in fear, that drains your energy. So the cycle is just going down and down for him and for her up. Well, that's an important point, though. I have just been caught. I've been leading for two weeks and I've just been caught and I feel my energy go down. How do I get out of that? 
Yeah, so first of all, is getting aware of your thought pattern, because sometimes when we are overwhelmed of emotions, we don't recognize our thought patterns and we don't recognize the triggers, because with him, it's the only thing that changed is seeing her, right? So that is the only trigger. Otherwise, everything would stay the same. Just she is suddenly in his view. And if he knows that trigger, he can go back to a mindset he had before. Like, okay, I don't want that. I still want to focus on winning and I can still win, right? Just knowing your emotions, your thoughts behind that and the triggers. And then you can still decide where you want to go. As someone who really suffers from nerves in competition, this could be invaluable. So focus not on the negative event, like being caught, falling, or suffering a kit malfunction, but reset to the present and the fact that you are still in the race. Going back to a more individual discipline here, Jasmine Harrison. At the age of 21, after no experience on the high seas at all, she becomes the youngest ever woman to row across the Atlantic solo. And then in the middle of the night, she had a nasty wake-up call. It makes a, an alert to tell me that there's an incoming ship. And I wake up to it, look at my navigation systems to be able to tell me whereabouts this boat is and how big it is, how fast it's traveling and just information like that. And I realized that this boat was really, really close to me. It alerted me when we had six minutes till impact and it was going quite quickly. And you think I need to wake up, actually see the boat, register in my own brain that it is a problem. Then put a safety harness on, get out onto deck. Clip myself and then look at where it is, see what I can do. I have to then try and radio them. Put out a emergency on the system saying, I'm here, please don't hit me. But they didn't respond, so I was like, okay. All this decision making and doing is happening within seconds. If the other big boat isn't responding, the only thing Jasmine can do is turn her own boat in another direction. I need to head south because then they would avoid me, I thought, as long as I can move. <laughs> and dealt with it, she did. So back to fear and why not? Because it's so fascinating. Um, Jasmine was in a slightly different situation because the fear or the danger wasn't just present. It was increasing. And she talks how she managed to get through it step by step. But come on, like sort of, is Jasmine something special? How do we manage to like compartmentalize these things and carry on? You know, whether it's during the heat of competition where you have to make a load of decisions or in the face of imminent death. This belongs to the fight, flight or freeze theory, I guess. So if, you're, if your life is in danger, you don't have to react because it happens unconsciously. And that depends on the situation. And freezing wouldn't wor have worked for her because that was giving up, up right? And she couldn't fly um, because, yeah, she couldn't leave the boat. <laughs> and so she had to fight. And then physical and hormonal changes come up quickly. And then you have the energy. And then she also used um, instructional self-talk for problem solving, like talking her through what's, what she has to do next um, to actually be able to survive. So, I mean, we never know what's going to happen, but um, yeah, she reacted with that and could get out of the situation. And with the instructional self-talk, 
you are not alone. Like if you talk to yourself, you might feel like you're not alone on that boat. So it might feel already a little bit safer. So it's not just about telling yourself everything will be okay, it seems. It looks like you have to actually do stuff to make it okay. Right, that changes things a bit. But it's harder than it seems when your back is up against the wall. If you can't act automatically because you're overwhelmed, but you know what you need to do, just tell yourself, out loud if you need to, and don't worry about the strange glances. You won't be able to see them if you're ahead of the field. Now next, I promise I'm not name dropping, but a few weeks ago I was lucky enough to share a trail with this incredible athlete, John Kelly, finisher of the Barclay Marathons and recent record setter on the Pennine Way. And I saw how much of a bad way, how much he was suffering at this point in time. And we've got an example of during the Barclay Marathon here on how he kept going. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Uh, and especially at that point, I, again, I was still, I would consider myself relatively inexperienced compared to now. Uh, and, and now I have this huge reservoir of memories to draw on where I've kind of been there before. And I know you've been there before. You can pull out of this. This is how you pulled out of it. You're, you're going to do it. Uh, but for me, really, it's it's about lowering the number of things that my mind needs to be processing to a level that it it actually still has enough capacity to focus. So after I lost those 20 minutes on the final hill, I was just constantly reminding myself all the way down the mountain, you just have to touch the yellow gate. That's fascinating. Sort of just touch that yellow gate, it can mean so many things to different people. In terms of goal setting, how do you think that helps? And how can you stay focused when you're not only just tired, but you're mentally shot? So um, with goal setting, I think it's really important for the first step and to imagine yourself being there. What do you have to put in action to get there? So for preparation, for training, to get motivated to train all the time. But actually to put things in action, you have to let go of that goal and uh, be in the here and now and focus what you can do now, right? Thank you so much, Veronica. I feel like I've got a little book of secrets now that I can pull out whenever the odds are against me. And if you guys want to hear some take-home messages from our conversation and from the rest of Series 2, here we go. Firstly, visualise success, just like Dan and I had, even though that success was pretty far away in 1978. Don't feel awkward either about some internal verbal coaching and minimise your distractions, like John Kelly on that Tennessee mountaintop. Because we all know, this stuff's hard enough, right? One thing I loved from Leah Wilcox was her ability and her advice to stay in the present. And what's more, stay rational, when being rational is the last thing on your mind. One from me, work your arse off and enjoy that struggle. Because if you don't enjoy that, you're going to struggle in more ways than one. Next, do it for yourself, like Sarah Thomas. And don't be afraid to be proud of your efforts, even if you think they're nothing special. They are. And just remember, those who care about you think you're the greatest for getting to whatever start line you reach. You've always been superhuman to them. Well, 
that's season two nicely wrapped up. You got everything you need now, right? So then, what's stopping you? Maybe next time, it'll be your story that the world stops to hear on how to be superhuman from Red Bull. Thank you.